Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of the Live It Well podcast. We are your hosts, Chris and Jenny Gravy. Today's episode 50. Yay. We made it. We're almost <laughs> to 100. That's so cool. Army. <laughs> Just halfway. Okay. Guys, we're really excited about today's episode. We're talking to Emily P. Freeman, and Emily's a best-selling author, she's a speaker, and she's the host of the Next Right Thing podcast, where she helps create space for the soul to breathe. Ah, there you go. I love her podcast. It's one of my favorites, yeah. and this book is one of my new favorites as well. We had so much fun talking with Emily and got so much out of the conversation. Mm-hmm. You guys are going to love her. She's an incredible writer, an incredible speaker, and she's just a great human being. Yeah, there's those conversations you're like, I don't want this to stop. Yeah, it was great. And I love when we dive into her book, The Next Right Thing. And for you, this is like probably one of your favorite books, right? It really is. I'm reading a book a week for the year of 2019. That's my goal. I'm ahead of my goal. She's a winner. Here you go. And one of my favorites has been The Next Right Thing, for sure. Um, you literally read it in like two days. Yeah, I couldn't put it down. Yeah. It was really good. If you have a decision you're making, this will be so helpful to you. Like not just promise to be helpful, actually helpful. Yeah. Really valuable stuff. So guys, grab your pen and paper. This is a great one. Enjoy. Well, Emily, welcome to the show. We're so glad you're with us today. Well, I'm so glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Well, we just want to start off by saying a huge thank you for the work that you do and specifically for this book that you've written called The Next Right Thing. I was telling you both before we jumped on this call, like I stayed up late last night finishing the last few pages and it was one I just didn't want to end. It was so good. And I was telling you some books, as you read, you forget the author entirely. And it's like, God just jumps onto the page and speaks right to your heart. And that's what this book was for me. And I'm so excited for our listeners to hear this today because I know that there's somebody listening who's making a big decision who needs to hear it. So we're going to jump right into it. But before we do, tell us a little bit about your story and kind of the journey that led you to do the work you're doing now. Sure. Well, you know, I never would have imagined when I was younger that I would grow up and write books. I went to college for sign language interpreting. So I was a interpreter for students in the public school system for several years. But what I have discovered as I look back is a lot of times the things that we do in life with our calling or vocation um, often prepare us for something down the road that we never would have done it that way on purpose. No one would say, well, go be a sign language interpreter so you can write books one day. And that's (laughs) not ever part of the plan. But in adopting this next right thing mindset of sort of doing the next right thing that makes sense at the time, often the next right thing doesn't seem to make sense in the big picture. But then as you follow the steps, it just sort of, you look back and you're like, oh yeah, that I never would have chosen that. But so I feel like sign language interpreting really taught me how to listen because I had to. It was my job to hear not only the words that were being said by the teachers or the students or whoever I was having to interpret for, but also the intent behind the words. And so I sort of developed this ability to sort of listen beneath the surface and then interpret that intent. So while that was a language issue, like a very tangible thing, I do think later on as I've sort of gone on to, you know, I got married, I had several children, and that skill of paying attention served me well as a writer, as I started to pay attention to my own life, both what was happening around me and what's happening within me and sort of how those two things connect. So I think that that thread of interpreting and listening and paying attention has always been there, but it's just manifesting itself in lots of different ways. Mm -hmm. So good. Well, 
you know, so you've written multiple books, right? That's right. Yeah. Take, take me back to how the, the very first book was the next right thing for you to do and how you wrestled that out. Because we have an audience. We One of the number one things we hear people say is, I want to write a book someday. Mm-hmm. And so I would love to just hear that next right thing. I know it doesn't have to do with your current book, but I just want to hear how that process flushed out with you. It's, it's such a great question. It's, I haven't thought about that in a while, but I'll tell you, my husband was a youth pastor. So when we got married, he got a job right away working at a church with students. And we did that six years middle school and then another six years high school. But when we were in the middle of working with the high school students, one thing I noticed was these high school girls reminded me a lot of myself. And the part of myself that they reminded me of was the good girl, try hard life part of myself where I was just trying to do it all right, you know, like white knuckling it, um, pull myself up by my bootstraps, working hard. And what I noticed as now the youth leader was that those were the girls that got a lot of the praise and attention, both at school, from coaches and from their church leaders. And I realized, what are we teaching these girls that their performance in many ways, though we didn't intend it, equaled their acceptance? and their okayness. And so I started to notice that trend just within our own youth group. This was the work I was already doing with my husband. And I started to think about um, how tragic that was, but how hidden it was, because often the kids we know need help or support are the ones that are like, you know, partying on the weekends and all the stuff. (laughs) But the girls and, and guys, but you know, I worked with the girls, the girls who often flew under the radar were the ones who were doing it all right. But meanwhile, on the inside, they were overwhelmed, anxious, they couldn't sleep at night, and they were carrying around a lot of pressure. And they applied that to their walk with God. And so that's how it started, was I just noticed that trend, I saw myself in them, and I started to develop with my friend Kendra, actually, she was another leader in the youth group I was working in. She and I both sort of started talking about wow, that's us. And what would it look like to develop something for these girls to talk about this issue? Because it wasn't something I heard talked about, sort of this perfectionism and try hard life and that because it was always aspired to, it was never a problem. So we sort of revealed the problem that it was. And we had, we developed what we called these good girl weekends. So I just had like 25 girls to my house. We did it for 11th and 12th graders. And I just sort of developed not a curriculum, but kind of for these girls on the weekends at my house. And that started the um, the conversation. It was sort of entering into a conversation that I thought needed to be had. And then I recognized these girls were really resonating with this idea. And that sort of morphed into becoming my first book, Grace for the Good Girl, with a subtitle, Letting Go of Your Try Hard Life. So I really, I ended up going to a writing conference and I pitched that for teen girls. And the editor was like, well, I think that's a great idea for teen girls, but could you write it for grown women? But I think it's <laughs> <this> too. <laughs> so, and that was one of those things where I would not have, I was too afraid to write for women. Like I, that was scary to me. And I yeah. thought, well, I work with teenagers already, so I can do that. That feels like the next right thing. But my idea of the next right thing, when I ended up collaborating with someone else and talking with this editor, she had another idea about what that meant and she had the power to make a difference. So that was sort of how this mindset, um, and I think we all are doing our next right thing always. We just don't always name it that way. And sometimes we're afraid and we think, isn't there something more I should know? And oftentimes, no, there's not. This is just sort of how it plays out. So that was my, that was actually my first two books. I ended up doing one for adults and then one for teenage girls. That's awesome. So cool. Right in the midst of what you're doing, the next right thing 
piggybacked on that was to write a book. So cool. All right. Well, let's dive in to the topic of decision making. Everyone listening's got a lot of big decisions. We all do. Everybody's got, I know even for Jenny and I right now, there's big decisions that we're thinking about and praying about. Um, why is decision making, why does it seem so paralyzing and overwhelming for people? Can you speak to that a little bit? Nothing gets our attention like an unmade decision. I don't know about you, but when, when I have a decision I need to make, um, I can't think of anything else. And I often, I mean, it depends kind of on your own tendency. Some of us tend to think through a lot. Some of us tend to just like really want to go with our gut instinct. And then others of us want to talk to everybody we know and get everybody's advice. So there's like this, this sort of heart, head, gut thing happening within us, all of us. And we tend to lead with one or the other. But I mean, when we really have a big decision, we're trying to access all those things, right? And so... I think there's something really beautiful that God has built within us, which is this aspect of the unknown. And if he wanted to, he could have made everything very clear and laid it all out and handed us a plan each morning for a day. And I think he would have done that if the right decision, quote unquote, was the most important thing. But he knew and he knows that really the right decision is secondary. And the most important thing is us becoming who we have been created to become. And he knows that in order to do that, we need him. And I can't tell you how strongly I depend on him when I don't know what's coming next. I mean, that seems to be the tripwire. Like that's always the the flag that gets my attention um, is when I don't know really what to do next. Otherwise, I would just sort of like hang out on my own and do my own thing. And like, yay, this is like, I've got this. But I do think those decisions, the unmade decision it gets our attention, but it's also a gift. And I think there is a, a great gift that comes with indecision because it stops us in our tracks and it forces us to begin to listen and pay attention, maybe in ways we have not yet been willing to do. That's so good. I love that you said that. And that was one of my biggest takeaways from the book too, was taking my eyes off of the actual decision itself. It actually frees us to know who we are so that we can make a good decision, aligning our hearts with God, putting our, ourselves in the right place. So that was so good. One of the, the concepts you talk about is being a soul minimalist. Can you unpack that for us a little bit? Um, there's a blog called Becoming Minimalist by Joshua Becker, and it's actually about like true minimalism, like get rid of stuff. Right. <laughs> right? <laughs> and um, I read his blog some, I listened to a podcast episode he was on, and As he was talking about how our houses are always receiving input, because it's one thing to get rid of stuff, but if you don't have a, um, some type of process of actually stopping the flow of input into your house, then you're always going to be in this constant state of decluttering, which I guess is part of life, but it's also, I think it can be greatly reduced if we change our mindset. So that's what he talks about is sort of like, how can we, you know, monitor all the stuff that comes in our house, the gifts and the papers from school and all the different things that are constantly coming in. And as I listened to him talk about that, I thought about how true that is not just for our homes, but also for our souls, not just our exterior world around us, but the interior world within us and how we are constantly getting input with um, not just stuff, but also reactions from people, acceptance or rejection from other people, deadlines that are put on us, all types of different things that come into our lives on a soul level, mind, will, and emotions, that if we're not careful, can really build up and cause a lot of clutter on the inside. And so the idea of becoming a soul minimalist is simply taking some time on purpose to 
release some of the clutter that has come in. And the way that I have found to do that best is with stillness and with silence and with really sitting in the presence of Jesus on the regular, not with an agenda, but just simply to be with him and to release some of these things that I'm holding that might not be super apparent on the outside, but that are definitely causing some frustration on the inside. And when it comes to making decisions, all that soul clutter stuff, when we have a decision to make, we have to dig through a lot of that stuff in order to find maybe what it is we really feel most called to do. And so if we're on a regular path of minimalizing on the soul level, to use that term, hopefully the decision fatigue would be more released that way. What are some practical things, people are listening to this, what are some practical things they can do to cut the clutter in their soul? One like super practical thing you could do right now today is um, sometimes when I take a walk, it takes me about 15 minutes to go around my block. And I like to listen to podcast music, but, but, but there are times when I just leave the earbuds at home. And especially when I have a lot on my mind, what I will do is I will begin to name in my head what are the things on my mind. And I'll start with two clenched fists. And as I name those things that are really cluttering up and, and get really practical, like that conversation with my husband this morning, and that's one. And then um, this decision I have to make about being on the PTA or not, that's two. And each thing you have that's cluttering up the mind, you just list it on your hands one by one on your fingers until you get to 10 and you have now two open hands. This whole time you've been walking, engaging your body, getting in fresh, fresh oxygen. And I have discovered that just the act of physically walking and of um, counting on my hands, releasing those things that are cluttering up, I may not have a decision at the end of that walk when I get home 15 minutes later. I mean, it's not magic, y'all. But <laughs> It is helpful because it does help me remember I'm not just releasing them into the air. Mm -hmm. I'm releasing these things into the presence of God. And then I can trust that he will hold them and he will take care of me. Oh, that's so good. That sounds pretty magical. I'm going to give that one a try. That's good. (laughs) You know, you just said something that I think is really is a practical thing that I don't think people normally think about when making a decision. You talked about your body, knowing your body, recognizing what's happening in your body. Can you speak, because you talked about that in the book, can you speak to that a little bit when we're trying to make a decision and some of the cues we may need to look for on what's going to help guide us? I'm no doctor, but let me tell you this. (laughs) Y'all are not having me on here for my medical expertise. But I will tell you that my body is a lot smarter a lot of times than my mind. And my body tells me things a long time before my mind ever catches up. And probably yours does too. And we know this by the different weird cricks you can have in your neck and you can't, you know, you can't release it. Or for me, it happens in my jaw. I'll clench my jaw a lot and I won't even realize it till that night I have a splitting headache and I'm like, oh, let me trace that headache down to my jaw. I've been (laughs) clenching my teeth all day. And it's like our bodies are silent witness to our lives and they're constantly whispering to us pay attention, pay attention. You're carrying this stress in these different places. And it's only when we sort of get still or take a walk or do something a little bit different than normal, sometimes that we notice those things. I just think God has made us as whole people and we can't parse out our soul from our body and our spirit. We just 
we just can't do that. Only God can sort of do that. And he made us integrated. And it says that he was before all things and in him, all things hold together, including my mind, my will, my emotions, my body, all the things. And so I do think that, um, paying attention to those spots in our body. And I bet as you're listening right now, I bet you are aware of some pain or something happening in our bodies. And I think as we just, we might not have answers, but we can say, okay, what it, Lord, what is, what are you trying to tell me? You know, all things, you're the smartest man who ever lived. You're God of all. What is my body trying to tell me? And how might I be able to release that into your hands and walk with you into my next right thing? That's great. So good. I know those people out there going like, oh, that's why that, that pain is just disappearing <laughs> <Yeah>. right now. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about, you know, when making decision, there's, there's multiple things that we maybe want to do or trying to figure out. And you talk about the importance of naming and knowing what you want. And then also specifically knowing what you want in a current season. So can you unpack that for us, please? I think a lot of people are afraid to talk about what they want because we've been conditioned to think it's selfish. And so we're making decisions. And a lot of times we know deep down in our gut what we want. Even maybe we know what we think is right. Mm -hmm. But on the outside or maybe to some person in our life or whoever, it seems like a selfish choice. And so we're afraid to move on it. So we're waiting for the decision that doesn't sound selfish. And maybe we make a secondary decision or maybe it's not the next right decision, but maybe it's like the next like mediocre decision because (laughs) we're afraid. And I think, um, here's the thing, what you want is what you want, whether or not you admit it. And so what you want will always impact your life, but how much better to admit it. And then you can more quickly release it if you don't get it. But I think there was a question that Jesus so often asked in scripture, and he would ask people what they want. And it wasn't because he didn't know. I mean, mm-hmm. he didn't need them to say so that he, oh, that's what you want, blind man. You <laughs> want to see. I wish I would have known that earlier. He was asking for the blind man's for his benefit. And so there was something to it. And I don't know, but to, that Bartimaeus had to say, Lord, I want to see. And He didn't say, I have to see. He didn't say, if I don't see, I better see or else. It wasn't a demand. It was simply a statement of desire Mm -hmm. in the presence of Jesus. And then a trust that whatever Jesus did with that information was his job. It was up to him. And then Jesus said, your faith has made you well. And I think, wow, is there a connection then between being honest about my desire and faith? And I believe that that story illustrates that there is a connection. And so when it comes to making hard decisions, you might not get what you want, but boy, oh boy, if you don't admit it, what it is that you want, Mm -hmm. you're going to be in some trouble down the line because what will happen is your body will begin to act up like we talked about and it will come out sideways. It will come out as grief. It will come out as anger, frustration, depression, anxiety. It will come out because we have been created in certain kinds of ways. And oftentimes I believe God speaks to us through desire, not because it's a selfish thing, but because he's like trying to get our attention. He's made us in a particular way for a particular time. And maybe desire is the strongest way he can speak to us. So I think that's sort of, you know, in a roundabout way answers the question. But I do think that, man, if we could, if we could begin to tap into our true desire in the presence of God, I think a lot of really beautiful things could happen in the kingdom. Absolutely. And that kind of leads into my next question, but I love that you pointed out that it is not holy 
to bury our desires. It, it feels like in order to pursue righteousness, we have to push down our desires because it feels selfish, but acknowledging how we've been made and what it is that we value most helps us be intentional with our decision-making and our choices so that we don't look up down the road and go, whose life is this? Right. <laughs> Why did I say yes to all these things that are sucking the life out of me? So what I would love for you to talk about, instead of a pros and cons list, you offer a more helpful alternative. Tell us about the life energy list and kind of what that looks like. I love making lists. I mean, who doesn't love a great list? Yeah. I mean, just follow the list and the list will tell you what to do and all will be well. But what I've discovered is sometimes pro-con lists can be helpful because it gets you, it just gets you thinking. You, you get to see all the facts out there on paper, but rarely has a pro-con list actually led me to a soulful decision. Instead, what I've discovered is developing a lifestyle that supports soulful decision-making um, on the regular Rather than waiting until you have this big decision to make and you have to hustle to make a pro-con list. Instead, I encourage, well, this is what I've discovered in my own life, and then I try to encourage others to do this too because I find it so helpful, is to develop a practice of reflection. And so the most important list, in my opinion, is the life energy list, which is where you choose a period of time of your life. It could be a season, could be like this fall or this summer or whatever. It could be um, a year. Year is a little long, but that's probably the longest I would go. It could be just the last four weeks, the last month. You could do it on a monthly basis. But the idea is simply choose a specific period of time. And then you look at specific aspects of life. So it could be your work life. It could be your marriage, parenting. It could be your church life, whatever. And you just make a new list. And the list is, you ask yourself two questions. What was life draining? And what was life giving? And I suggest making the life draining list first, just so that you can end on the life giving things. <laughs> Ask me how I know. Um, <laughs> discovered that the hard way. It's like, oh, this is depressing. Um, so end with life giving and get super practical here, tangible. I mean, this is, you know, after you take your walk with all your things on your fingers and you're letting go, then go make a life energy list. And it helps even to be like, you know, what was life giving? I hosted a dinner at my house and it was so fun. It was my funnest thing we did. And I love hosting people, but I only did that one time in the last three months. So it can help you make a decision about the next three months because you look at that list and you say, look at what's life giving to me. Why am I not incorporating that into my regular rhythm of life? And so, and same with the life draining. Now, the goal is not to get rid of everything that's life draining, because wouldn't that be nice, right? I do think we grow closer to others in Jesus a lot of times through suffering and not through things that are life giving. But in those places where we have choice, I think sometimes our default is to do what's expected or to do what we've always done just because that's what we do. And we don't ever take the time to reflect and say, oh, wait, why am I doing that? And if your why lines up with life, great, even if it's life draining, I mean, Laundry is not life-giving. It's fine. But it's just part of life. We just have to do, and that's okay. But there are things that we can choose, and I think those are more of the things that I'm talking about with this list is, what are some choices I made that ended in something that was really kind of life-draining for me? And how can I design my life so that when I move into the future, if I have that choice in the future, I won't make that same choice again? So it's sort of living a life of reflection rather than a life of reaction. Yeah, that's so, it's kind of like the examine prayer. It is. Yeah. Do you know Aaron Nequist? 
Uh-huh. Uh huh. We had him on a couple of months ago, and he taught us the examine. So we've been doing yeah. that, and we've been doing it with our kids, and it's so powerful. So when I read that, it kind of that's kind of like the examine, but in a longer period of time. Yeah, just so helpful. I love that. Okay, so one of the other things you talk about in the book is pick what you like and see how it grows, which I found so empowering because I'm sure other people are listening. Chris doesn't really deal with this because he's like super confident and a very good decision maker, but yeah. I get paralyzed like you talk about in the book by small decisions. Mm-hmm. So would you talk about that and kind of how you landed on that practice? Well, that that's a chapter just for you because I know there are some people who will pick up this book and they'll be like, what is she talking about? What is that a thing? I got you. Same girl. Same. <laughs> but listen, it was worth keeping in for you and people like me because there are so many of us who I, I found in the tiny decisions of life and that the idea of pick what you like and see how it grows came when I was at, I mean, for real, I was in the garden center at the local home improvement place. And I was so excited because I'm like, I'm going to fill my house with green plants. It's going to be gorgeous. I'm going to be that girl. That is who I'm going to be. I'm going to be the millennial who has this giant leaf plants <laughs> in my house. And they're beautiful. I get to the place. Well, those plants are expensive, number one. Mm-hmm. And if I'm going to kill it, it's like I don't want to spend all this money on this plant. So I'm standing in the middle with this. T- I had a plant that was four inches high. That was the only one I could bring myself to pick. That's not going to make an impact in your living room, right? <laughs> I want the right. beautiful green. I couldn't pick. And then I start like second guessing my ability to be a grown woman of making decisions <laughs> for my home and family. Like, why, why is this so hard? If I can't even make a decision about a plant, what does that say? But then I start questioning my identity and it's this whole like quick cycle into a dark and twisty place. Yes. And I'm just standing in the garden center. And I know that there are people listening who have felt this way about paint colors, about clothing, about menus at restaurants. Listen, sit me at a restaurant with a menu that's three inches thick and I'm leaving. I can't do it. <laughs> I have four options. I want someone to pick for me half the time and I will eat it. It's fine. Yep. So I know that not everyone is like that. Some people are like, do not order for me. But others of us just recognize these small decisions can be really overwhelming and those can pile up and then they can affect our ability to make the larger decisions. If nothing else, because now our self-confidence has been like, you know, hammered. So I'm standing here in the garden center, you know, not knowing what to choose. And I don't know how else to say this except to say that a phrase entered my mind that sort of sounded like my voice, but didn't really feel like my idea. And I think sometimes God speaks to us that way. He speaks to us in a way that sounds like our voice with tenor and the same sort of um, rhythm that we would speak to ourselves, but it's kinder and it's more wise. And it's probably not something we would come up with on our own. And the phrase landed in my mind and it simply said, pick what you like, then see how it grows. And immediately I felt the sense of peace and freedom. And I thought, oh, you mean I just get to pick what I like? And it didn't say pick what you like, like then keep it alive. It just <laughs> see how it grows with the option of maybe it won't grow. And that's okay. And that concept I have discovered applies in so many areas of life, not just in plant keeping, but also um, with parenting, also in my relationship with my husband, John, that sometimes there are things that we just have to make these decisions, even if we're not sure how it's going to turn out. And that's okay. That's so good. Well, speaking of your husband, John, and making decisions, you guys have moved a couple different times. You've made some big decisions in your life. There are people listening out there 
who have a spouse and they're like, okay, we are trying to make this decision. Can you speak to that a little bit, to that process, maybe what it looks like for you, maybe even best practices you've heard from others? Because I know decision-making for couples to get on the same page is a very big deal. It's a very big deal. And I can speak only from my own experience. And so I know everybody's marriage and relationship is so different. But I do know that probably something most of us have in common is that we all want healthy marriages and we all want to know how to best communicate with each other. And we also want to make smart, wise decisions for our families and for each other, for our lives. And so John and I found ourselves in that place. I mean, we find ourselves in that place all the time. But, you know, there are those everyday stuff. And then there's like the big vocational things that I think a lot of times really can either draw us really closer together or maybe fling us far apart, just depending on the minute sometimes. <laughs> um, but, you know, John and I found ourselves in that space about 10 years into our marriage where um, we had a huge vocational decision to make. And he, you know, he had his MDiv. He was a youth pastor. Like, he was going to be a pastor of church. That's what you do. And we were just in this place where we started questioning if that was still the path. doesn't mean he chose wrong way back when he went to seminary. It doesn't mean he chose wrong when we took this job at a church, but um, sometimes things change. And so things began to change. And sometimes when things change, they're welcome. And then other times it's really scary because you don't know what's coming next. And that's kind of, we were in both of those. It was both welcome and scary. And so we were sort of looking in all these different spaces, either, you know, talking to people and um, listening to each other and trying to figure out what we really wanted. I think something for John, and I don't know if I can't relate to this quite as much, but John really had trouble not just naming what it was his desire was, but also getting in touch with it. We would, I would try to get him to sort of dream or have these big conversations like, well, if you could do anything, what would it be? You know, and I've got like all these great ideas, you know, what it could be. To me, it's no risk to sort of dream. It's just, you know, this is a risk-free conversation. To him, though, every word that came out of his mouth had to be tied to a plan. And he couldn't bring himself to sort of half-heartedly just dream and fling stuff into the air without a, a roadmap. And that is a personality thing, but I think it's also a soul thing. And I think there were some things that he was holding on to. And he would tell you that now that had him caught up. And um, it was only when actually his dad passed away in 2011. And I think that though that was a really difficult, heartbreaking time, it also sort of broke something open within him to where in the process of that breaking open, he had to access the grief of losing his dad. But also that paved the way to him also accessing desire. And that was the gift of that loss. And so in that time where we really thought we were looking for answers, over time, we realized God was really revealing arrows to us. And so I think oftentimes we think we want these black and white answers. And God knows that. And he loves us. <laughs> um, but I do think he more often offers arrows to just the next right thing. And so what John and I have discovered is that usually our best decisions are made. Our wisest, most healthy, most soulful decisions, what we all want, are made not when we're seeking the answer to our decision. But when we are moving closer to one another in the presence of God, I just think that's how it works. And in that space, we never got like a big revelation all at once. It just came through tiny little turns um, over a long period of time, which is not my favorite advice to give because <laughs> it's a lot of patience and waiting. But when you're married, you can never go wrong turning towards one another and moving closer towards one another in the midst of the unknown. That will never be a mistake. 
The thing that's been so interesting for us is that, um, yeah, the, the times when it's just us and it's like we feel like it's us against the world, we draw closer to each other yeah. and draw closer to God and realize like what's important. It's like, I'm not coming at you. I'm, I'm coming with you and we got to yeah. figure this thing out together. So it's so, so good. Emily, I want to know, what is your hope for this book when people pick it up? That's a great question. My hope is that someone would pick it up because they have a decision to make and they're looking for some hope in that. But I guess my hope is when they put it down, that their decision would be secondary and that their life with their friend Jesus would bring the most peace and joy and comfort in knowing that no matter the decision that I make, um, I know I'm not making it alone and that God is with me. He is for me. He's within me and he will never leave me alone. And man, if this book could do all that, well, then I'll just, I mean, I, that's it. I'm done. I'm happy. <laughs> yeah, that's so good. Well, that is accomplished with this reader for sure. Okay. I felt that same way closing the book last night. And I just thanked God for it because I felt like I was in a different place after reading it than when I began, which I know is your ultimate hope as a writer. So thank you for that. It's been wonderful. And I can't wait for our listeners to get it in their hands as well. Um, so Emily, we love this conversation and we hate that it's coming to a close, but we like to close every episode by asking the same three questions, kind of a rapid fire. Are you ready? I think I'm ready. <laughs> okay. Let's do it. I'll give you a moment to prepare. <laughs> it's what's a book that's changed your life? What's a habit that's changed your life? And what advice would you give to the younger you? So we'll start with the book. What's a book that's changed your life? The first one that comes to mind is a book by Henry Nowen called In the Name of Jesus. It's a very small book. You could read it every year. Fantastic book. I love small books. It's really <laughs> yeah. my favorite phrase, especially when they're on Audible. It's amazing. <laughs> At double speed. Yeah. Yep. Our second question is, what's a habit that's changed your life? Doing one thing at a time. <laughs> that's so good. I mean, really, like giving yeah. myself permission to just do one thing at a time, to have one tab open at a time on the computer, to not think I have to multitask all the things. And that's really that next right thing mindset. I mean, that is the habit. I hate to say it, but we're bringing it back around like Seinfeld. But that is the truth. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So and if you're sitting across from the younger Emily, what would you tell her? What advice would you give her? Oh, gosh. <laughs> Simmer down. Um, that's one thing I tell her. I think two things come to mind. The first is sort of about when it comes to decision making. Um, and this I heard from my friend Holly Good, who told me once that red flags never get smaller. So if you have a small red flag about a decision or a situation, it's not going to get smaller. It's only going to grow. Yeah. So pay close attention when you feel that red flag. Um, we can trust that almost all of the time. Oh, yeah. So that's one. That's and so I good. found that to be true. I mean, right? Yes. Oh, Never yeah. like it goes away. It yeah. always leads somewhere, you know? Yes. Yeah. Or you wish you had listened to it right? way back Because then. you dismiss it. Like yeah. that's what we think. Well, this is going to go away, so we dismiss it. But yeah. I think if I could tell myself, pay attention when you have those like little red flag moments, like those little, mm, I don't know. Yeah. Most likely, it's going to grow. <laughs> and then I think the second thing is from any of the, my advice is from other people. But this <laughs> is something I've heard and it stuck with me is when um, Dallas Willard says to relentlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Yeah. And she walks I, around the house saying that all <laughs> the time. We're eliminating hurry as we're trying to run out the door, you know, yeah, get to the place. Hurry. 
Yeah, if I followed that when I was 22, I think I would be a much more peaceful person now because I would have been practicing it all these years. Yes, it's so huge. It's a game changer. It's absolutely a game changer because you miss so much when you're racing through life. So that's so good. Emily, this has been such a blast. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, thanks, y'all. I've been, this has been really fun. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Where, where can people find you? Find the book, look you up, all that fun yeah. stuff. Where's the book? The book is anywhere. Books are sold. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can find me. I also have a podcast called The Next Right Thing. So same name as the book, thenextrightthingpodcast.com. You can find me at emilypfreeman.com or at emilypfreeman on Twitter and Instagram. More Instagram than Twitter. I'm more of a photo girl than, with the captions, you know. So Emily P. Freeman, all the places pretty much. Awesome. We'll link to all of that in our show notes. And hopefully people will pick up this book and go get it, people. Yes. Right now. Not hopefully. (laughs) Go Go get get it. it. You need it. Yes. All right. Thanks, Emily. (laughs) Thank you. Such a great conversation. I see why you read the book in two days. (laughs) Guys, we hope you enjoyed this episode as much as we did. And we hope you'll go get the Next Right Thing book. It comes out April 2nd, but you can pre-order it right now and you get all kinds of awesome freebies. You get her audiobook, her online course, all kinds of great stuff. You can go to nextrightthingbook.com and find out all the information. Y'all, we want to support everybody that comes on, but we especially want to get behind Emily and what she's doing. Her message, her heart uh, is so good and so pure, and we want, as an audience, you guys to get behind it. We're going to get behind it. Let's support Emily. Yeah. Go show her some love, pre-order her book, and tell her we sent you. Yep. So that's a wrap, guys, on today's episode. Episode 50. Yeah. We did it, babe. (laughs) Super exciting. And thank you for each and every single one of you for being here every single week. We love you, we're thankful for you, and we show up every week because of you. Yep, we always love to hear from you. Come and find us on our website, letsliveitwell.com. All right, well, let's close this one out like we do every single time. Remember, you only get one life. Live Live it it well. well.